as we've been having our series over the last four weeks on Ruth and thinking about God's surprising providence, the way he plans the whole course of human affairs, of history, each event of our life in order to bring about his good and wise plans. There's a, there's a question that's been going around my head and maybe it's, it's come up for you and I've been thinking about should I, should I address it in, in, as I come to chapter one or chapter two, each sermon I'm thinking, well, it doesn't, didn't quite work. And so what I've done is I thought today, today is the day when we'll come back and we'll finish up, wrap up our series on God's providence, not from the book of Ruth, but by referring to another part of the Bible, from Psalm 73 today. And this is a psalm written by Asaph, uh, who was a musician, one of the uh, people around, I think around the time of David, around that same time as him. And he reflects on some aspects of God's providence. And what he does is he brings up this very question that's been, been striking me. We've seen God working for the good of Ruth. And it's a romance. Ruth meets Boaz and they get together and God provides both food and security for that family, Naomi's family, and he provides descendants. And if it was Disney, you could easily see the last verse saying, and they lived happily ever after. It's, it's, it's very positive and it all works out for them. There's problems along the way, but ultimately, it's a story of God's providence when it's nice. But the question I've had and that Asaph addresses here is, why doesn't God always provide what's nice? Why doesn't it work out for all of us, for all of his people? Why didn't it work out? not just for Ruth and Naomi, but for Elimelech, Naomi's husband and the two sons who all die without seeing God's providence. They experienced famine and they went to a foreign country to escape it, but theirs didn't have the happy ending. And I know in my life and I know in your life, there's, there's lots of areas where you wish things were different, where you pray to God that he would provide things differently. And sometimes he does, but, but sometimes he doesn't. He doesn't always give us happily ever after. Well, let's read Psalm 73 as we see that Asaph addresses this. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. He starts off. Knowing God's attitude, it's good. You know what God's like? He's generous. We expect good things from him. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I'd nearly lost my foothold for I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They're free from common human burdens. They're not plagued by human ills. Therefore, pride is their necklace. They clothe themselves with violence. From their callous hearts comes iniquity. Their evil imaginations have no limits. 
They scoff and speak with malice. With arrogance, they threaten oppression. Their mouths lay claim to heaven and their tongues take possession of the earth. Therefore, their people turn to them and drink up waters in abundance. They say, how would God know? Does the Most High know anything? This is what the wicked are like. Always free of care, they go on amassing wealth. You see, Asaph's problem, he's convicted that God is good to his people. And yet his experience is that it's the wicked, that those who shun God, who seem to be living the good life. They've got the wealth and the power and the prosperity and the health. Everything's going right for them. How does that work in God's providence? Has he got confused? Has he misread? Has he mistaken the wicked for those deserving of blessing? Well, Asaph said his feet almost slipped because of this. It almost became a stumbling block that led him to turn away from God. So he says in verse 15, Surely in vain I kept my heart pure and have washed my hands in innocence. All day long I have been afflicted and every morning brings new punishments. He's voicing this this problem that he's got. His experience doesn't match up with the reality of God he knows. And he says, is it worth it? Is it in vain? Is it for nothing? But he realizes how close he is. And he doesn't quite cross the line. Verse 15, if I had spoken out like that, I would have betrayed your children. When I tried to understand all this, it troubled me deeply. Till I entered the sanctuary of God, then I understood their final destiny. How does he see it coming together and making sense? It's the difference between temporary and eternity, isn't there? It might look like it's going well now, but that's not forever. Verse 18, surely you place them on slippery ground. You cast them down to ruin. How suddenly they are destroyed and completely swept away by terrors. They are like a dream when one awakes. When you arise, Lord, you will despise them as fantasies. When my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. He realizes eternity brings it all into perspective. Yes, there is an inappropriate distribution now. The wicked may prosper. Those who are God's people don't always experience the nice life. But eternity, what's going to happen as we look to the future? The wicked will fall. God won't let them go unpunished forever. There will come a time when they are held to account. And Asaph recognizes his own silly, foolish thinking. He recognizes, he even talks about being like, that, that's an animal way of thinking. It's so, so low. I've got to think about eternity. Can't just forget about it and live in the moment. Not a brute beast. And then, then he takes comfort. 
even in the midst of things not being right, even in the midst of the wicked still prospering and him, his life still not being blessed in the ways that he, he wants. Verse 23, yet I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterwards you will take me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire beside you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Those who are far off from you will perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. I will tell of all your deeds. What does Asaph realize here? He realizes he may not have the wealth and the power and the popularity and the health and all the trappings of prosperity now. But what does he have? He has God with him. I'm always with you. You hold me by the right hand. He has the blessing of God watching over his way, of intimacy with the God who created the world, with the God who will one day hold all things to account. He knows God is on his side, despite the difficulties he faces. What in earth is worth more than that? All the riches, all the popularity. Is that more valuable than knowing that God is on your side? God is with you? Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. Jesus said, what good does it gain a man? What good does it do a man to gain the whole world and yet forfeit his soul? It's the same equation, isn't it? Everything that the wicked might be amassing is ultimately of no consequence. They enjoy it for a little while. But then there's eternity. You can't just add up things based on the way they look at any one given moment along your lifespan. Or even you can't just work it out over 70 or 80 years. Compared to eternity, that literally the ratio shrinks down to nothing. Asaph realizes he, he may lose everything. My flesh and my heart may fail. Even if I die, I've still got God. God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. He has something that can't be taken away, that can't be shaken by famine or war or someone else more popular coming on the scene.
is realizing that storing up treasure on earth is a foolish way to live your life. He needs to store up treasure in heaven to value that which is secure, that which is of so much more value. It's a stark contrast, isn't it? He's, he's painting it. Now it's good for those who are evil, he thinks. He sees the arrogant, the wicked, they're prospering. And for him, he's doing it tough. And this isn't Asaph alone. This happens throughout the Bible. There's many examples. Joseph, who got sold into slavery by his brothers and suffered and was falsely accused and was put in prison. He suffered. But it wasn't an indication of what God had planned for him. Job, there's a whole book dedicated to arguing about his suffering. And yet at the end, he's vindicated by God. We read in Psalm 89 that even the anointed one of the Lord faced opposition and it looked like his enemies were prevailing, were winning. Jesus himself didn't live his 33 years in luxury and popularity and everything being nice, comfortable, going right. He lived in a poor town, in likely barely poor family, scraping by. He came proclaiming the good news of God's kingdom. And all, just about all the religious leaders rejected him. He offered a taste of God's forever blessing, of life. He gave healing to those who were sick. We read about it in Matthew 4. All those who had various ills came and were healed. And yet people too often didn't want to listen to what he had to say. They wanted to take their health and run. And ultimately, when the, the leaders had had enough and they got together with the Romans and had him arrested, the crowds themselves turned against him. His closest followers betrayed him. And he was crucified. He suffered. The one who was closest to God, the righteous one who had done no wrong, had no wickedness in him. The one who had the closest relationship with God the Father, God the Son. He didn't experience all nice things, everything just lining up. No. But he knew eternity. He knew what he was working for. He knew God's plans stretched longer than his 33 years. And he knew that being obedient despite this, was valuable. And he lived. And he suffered and he died. 
And yet through his suffering, what happened? It's exactly through his suffering that God's surprising providence all comes together, isn't it? All his purposes from the beginning of creation to save human beings who are rebelled, to redeem them for himself, all comes together at the cross where Jesus, God the Son, dies, the innocent one, and enables people who have impure hearts, people who have doubting thoughts like Asaph, people who act on them even, people who envy the arrogant and the wicked and get trapped up in the idolatry of pursuing those things. God, through Jesus' suffering, through his death, offers life, offers eternal, eternal comfort and blessing and prosperity. Friends, it's easy to read the book of Ruth and see things going right and going, going, that's nice, but I wish that was me, and it doesn't feel like it. It's good for us to read Psalm 73, to read Asaph, isn't it? And to be reminded when things don't feel like they're going right, when God hasn't answered our prayers to heal our health or to heal the relationships that cause us so much grief. Or he hasn't blessed us with the breakthrough at work that we think we deserve. Being recognized and given the responsibility that we ought. When we see people just wasting their their wealth, their possessions. And we feel like we don't have enough. We're just scraping by on the things that are essential. When we see those who deny God's existence, being exalted to positions of authority and power in our world, when we see their declarations resounding with likes on Facebook, and it feels like the truth God's truth is ignored. It feels like we are on the outside if we stand with God's truth. We listen to what he says and and hold to it as good. There's many ways that we feel things aren't right. But in God's providence, we know one day things will be. God doesn't promise that things will be right here and now. Jesus came and gave a taste, a foretaste of eternity, his power to change things, to fix things that were broken, cast out demons, strengthen the weak limbs, 
overturn situations of abuse, discrimination. And though we, we don't experience all those things being fixed yet, we look forward with a sure hope for the day when they are. And in the meantime, we, we say with Asaph, don't we? I am always with you. Whatever I'm facing, I know that you hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel and afterwards you will take me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. Let's pray. Now, Lord God, we do thank you that you are working out your good plans in this world. We thank you that you've you've revealed through your prophets, through the Old Testament, through Jesus himself, where all your plans are going. We thank you that we have a sure hope of an eternity where things are fixed, where all the inequities of this world are solved. We long for the day when you address all our brokenness. And Lord, please help us to be patient, to be patient as we wait. Help us to keep turning with Asaph to the reality of what a privilege we have being your people, knowing that you are with us and that you care and that you hear our prayers. Strengthen us as we look forward to the day when you will take us into glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.